The information that we share today is from our own personal experiences and does not constitute medical advice. We do not endorse any products or services. Any said products or services mentioned on this podcast may not be suitable for you or your condition. Please consult with your physician if you have medical questions as it may pertain to your condition. Hi everyone, welcome back to Take a Paycheck. I'm super excited to present this week's guest, Ali Giacomo. Ali has a bachelor's degree in communications with a focus in film and media arts, and she is currently an NASM Telemedicine certified personal trainer. She uses her expertise to learn modifications so that she can teach exercises safely to other smoothies. Her goal is to prove that we can all incorporate fitness into our lives, regardless of our limitations. Ali also enjoys raising awareness about rheumatoid arthritis on social media and is connected with hundreds of young smoothies. Ali worked in the film industry for five years and still works closely with her production partner in creating short films. So hi, Ali. I'm really happy to have you on today. Can you start off with a brief introduction about yourself and your condition? Yes, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. So yes, my name is Ali Giacomo. My name is kind of hard to pronounce. Um, I did get diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis at the age of 15. I am 28 now. I also have costochondritis. And like you said, um, I did work in the film industry for a while. I currently live in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and I am now a certified personal trainer full time. I actually became a certified personal trainer because of my rheumatoid arthritis. Um, I connected with a really good friend of mine, Liv, who is also a certified personal trainer with arthritis and another friend of mine, Lindsay, who works in the fitness industry as well. So, um, because of my arthritis, I'm actually a personal trainer. I decided to go full-time with it because I do enjoy working with other spoonies and teaching them about fitness and how to move in a safe way. And I did also start bringing, um, awareness for rheumatoid arthritis on Instagram about, uh, four years ago when I just started taking methotrexate again. Um, and I do love to bring awareness on there and I have connected with I want to say like almost like thousands of people with arthritis. So we have a lot to discuss today and I'm really excited to go <laughs> into everything. You said you were diagnosed at 15. So you were diagnosed with JIA, I'm assuming. Yeah. And yes, uh, juvenile idiopathic arthritis. Okay, perfect. Same year. So we're twinning in a sense. <laughs> diagnosed at 13. So in those teenage years, totally understand how it feels. Um, when did you start actually noticing symptoms and what symptoms kind of led you to see a rheumatologist? Yeah, it was actually pretty quick. So when I was 15, I was, um, I was a semi-professional uh, swimmer, um, but at the time I was playing water polo for fun, but that was my sport at school. And um, very randomly one day, my knee uh, filled with fluid to like three times its size. And we all assumed it was just an injury, like a sport injury, because that's what you think when you're playing like a sport. And so I couldn't keep myself above water that day. It happened very suddenly. Like I was okay, got in the water and I realized I couldn't keep myself above water, which was strange because I'm a swimmer. And um, I swam out. And when I got out, I looked at my knee and it was huge. Luckily, my mom was visiting because I went to boarding school and um, I grew up abroad. So my mom was um, visiting, thank God. And so 
drove me to the hospital. Um, we got an appointment with a rheumatologist right away and he drained my knee and he could tell due to the color of the fluid that he thought it was, um, JIA. He couldn't diagnose me right away. Um, but so yeah, I did see a rheumatologist within like two days of my knee being full of fluid. Wow. Okay. So the diagnosis process was kind of quick, I assume. Um, he didn't diagnose you directly at that time, but it was like, okay, this is definitely JIA. Yes. Yeah. So he saw the fluid. It was a strange color. Um, I could go more into that story because it is a little bit longer if you want. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yes. The whole story. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, that was in Connecticut and I was 15 and after getting my knee drained, they scheduled me for an MRI. So it was my first MRI. Um, I got the MRI done and they didn't see anything, which was very strange, but I was still having complications. So my knee was still filling with fluid and I was unable to walk. I had to quit sports completely. Um, and then I did fly home to Saudi Arabia cause that was my home at the time. That's where I grew up. And in Saudi Arabia, I had to get my knee drained again and the surgeon got me another MRI. Uh, with that MRI, they did see a tumor behind my kneecap. So, which was strange because they didn't see it with the first one, but they saw the tumor and they were like, we have to get this tumor out as soon as possible. So, um, I did, uh, have my first arthroscopic knee surgery on my right knee. And while the surgeon was in there, he saw my joint and he told me and my mom, when I woke up that my joint looked like that of a 60 year old person's joint. Uh, and I was 15 at the time. So he diagnosed me with rheumatoid or juvenile idiopathic arthritis. Um, at the time it was called juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Um, but it's changed now to idiopathic yeah. arthritis. That's when they don't know the true cause of uh, the disease. Um, and juvenile being, I believe it's 16 years or younger. So, um, yeah. So I got diagnosed, uh, due to that surgery and they went in there, they shred up all, all I said, they just shred up all the gunk that was like in there and they, they sucked it out. I've had two now, um, on my right knee. Um, in fact, it was like that of a six year old back when I was 15, it probably looked like that of an 80 year old now. Um, but yeah, so right after that, um, I did get very lucky and I did not have to go on medication. Um, he cleaned it up really well and he said, I'll probably be fine for about six years. And he was correct. I was fine for exactly six years. And then all my symptoms came back. <laughs> oh my. Okay. So you mentioned you had a tumor that was removed under your knee. Do you know how that developed and did it affect your arthritis? No. So I really don't know how it developed. Um, to be honest, it was benign. So it wasn't cancerous, which is great. Um, that was the thing we were most concerned about. So even though I got the diagnosis of rheumatoid or juvenile idiopathic arthritis, we were very happy that it wasn't cancer. So, um, it was kind of like bittersweet. Um, but we have no idea how that happened or how that formed or how they missed it with the first MRI. I know MRIs can be a little tricky. Um, but luckily it never returned. Um, so it was just kind of a weird thing, but it led to my diagnosis. So it was kind of a good thing that it happened, <laughs> but so yeah, after, no idea. Yeah. So after it kind of being removed, did, have there been any side effects now, or is it, is it like, it's just not there? Like, do you have to worry about it? Because I know it's benign, so. 
Yeah. So I don't think I have to worry about it. Um, I do get my knee checked regularly. Um, I was okay. It didn't cause me any problems besides the fact that, um, I started to really feel that joint damage that I had in my knee. So I did have to, uh, end up quit. I quit swimming. Um, I tried, it, I wasn't the same after surgery and I went to physical therapy, but I kind of gave up sports entirely. Um, I, I stuck with swimming for another two years, but my career ended. <laughs> um, but besides that, no, I didn't have any complications. Um, really it wasn't until six years later, that um, the arthritis really came back and it came back very aggressively. I was actually in denial for a long time that I even had arthritis because usually with arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis, it typically happens in two joints. So like if you have it in your right knee, you also have it in your left, same with like elbows, wrists. But for me, it was only my right knee. And even up until this day, it's mostly in my right knee and mostly on my right side, actually, of my body and not my left side. So for six years, I was kind of in denial that I even had it. Um, but yeah, I didn't have complications for about six years. And um, I don't think I have to be too concerned about the tumor. How did you know it was time to see a healthcare professional? Uh, so um, after six years, which is crazy to me, because that's what the surgeon said it would be. Um, so after six years, I was having really bad complications. So my, I woke up one day very randomly. And if anybody with arthritis knows this, they know how quickly it can happen. But overnight, my knee was very swollen. I woke up, it was full of fluid. And I was like, Oh, God, here we go again. So it was full of fluid. And I knew I had to find a rheumatologist where I was living at the time, which was in Tampa, Florida. Um, so I found a rheumatologist right away. And that's where it just really all began. So within the span from that day for seven weeks, um, my knee filled with fluid every single week. And so I would go, I'd get it drained and then uh, it would fill with fluid again. And then I couldn't walk. So for about seven weeks, I was on crutches. Um, I was using a cane. I would use like the wheelchair support wherever we went like to a grocery store or at the airport, I was uh, being pushed in a wheelchair, um, had to get uh, those services for myself. Um, and it was unfortunately during like Christmas. So I was traveling at the time. So I was in Florida. I went to Philly. I went to New Jersey and I went to New York. Um, and in every single spot I went to, I had to find myself a rheumatologist or an orthopedic surgeon and get my knee drained. Like I would just call them and be like, hi, my knee is filled with fluid. I can't walk. I'm on crutches. Please help me. And so I was getting my knee drained everywhere I went and I was seeing many doctors. So in this whole time, I've seen over about 15 rheumatologists, maybe like over six orthopedic surgeons. I've seen a lot of doctors Wow! <laughs> and, um, yes, many doctors. Um, and it took a long time to find one I love. So yeah, during those seven weeks, I did not take medication because again, I was still in denial that I had rheumatoid arthritis because I had been six years. It was still only in my knee. And so I got tested for everything. I got tested for lupus. I went to, um, like a very amazing Lyme's doctor in, um, in like the Hamptons, I had through a family connection, I got tested for Lyme's disease was negative. I got tested for everything and was negative. Finally, after the seventh week, I even went to the Mayo clinic in Jacksonville in, a, mm -hmm. in Florida, had my knee drained there. I've had my knee drained everywhere in like multiple countries. <laughs> anyway, by the end of the seventh, yes, so many doctors, but by the end of the seventh week and getting my seventh knee draining, by that time, it was like my ninth draining total. They were telling me that every time you get your knee drained or any type of joint, um, it's called aspiration, uh, you're at risk for infection. And so they told me you're, you're at a terribly high risk for infection. Every time we do this, you need to start medication. And it was methotrexate, which is a very, very, very low dose of chemo. A lot of people don't like to say it's a low dose of chemo. It's kind of a gray area 
but it technically is a very low dose of chemo. So it does kind of make you sick. So I was very nervous and I didn't know a single person with arthritis or I didn't know anybody on methotrexate. So I had nobody to reach out to. So of course, naturally I was like, no, I don't want to take the meds. But by the seventh week, I finally gave in and I decided to take the medication. And I did see an orthopedic surgeon at the same time. And he said, I would have to get my second arthroscopic knee surgery because the tumor wasn't back, but the gunk, I call it was back. Like my knee was just full of, um, synovial fluid and, um, just a lot of wear and tear. So, uh, I had to schedule my second arthroscopic knee surgery, start methotrexate, Luckily when they went in, um, the tumor wasn't there, but my, he said my joint still looked awful. And, um, I had to stop being in denial because right after that surgery, the nurse walked in very chipper. I still remember it. And she was like, yep, it's all right. And I was like, great. That's awesome. I don't know why you're so happy, but yeah. So I was diagnosed for the second time with, uh, rheumatoid arthritis now because I, I was 21 now. I definitely think you should be winning a international knee draining award or something like all the countries, like, yeah. I mean, like everywhere <laughs> sort of thing. Wow. That's a lot to handle. And you were 20. Were you in college or university at this time? I had just graduated. Um, actually, it was, it was kind of sad because I was working my first job out of university um, and I was working in the film industry, which meant you were on your feet all day. But um, I actually had to, yeah, I had to leave my first ever job as a production assistant because of my knee. And it was really hard. They were very sweet and accommodating. At first, I was nervous about telling them I'm like unable to walk, but they, they clearly saw me limping and having a hard time and they were so accommodating. So for anybody who is really nervous, just talk to their boss about their autoimmune disease, 100% just do it. Um, they're not legally allowed to, you know, like fire you or treat you any differently. So um, I spoke to my boss and she was so sweet and um, they made it so that I didn't have to be on my feet all day. And I ended up just driving the car the whole time, which was totally fine. Um, however, um, it lasted a couple of weeks, but I did have to leave because I got to the point where I, I couldn't like stand anymore. Um, and I was like on a cane. So it got to the point where I couldn't even drive, but they were very accommodating, but it was after university. I guess like at that stage, because I was thinking it would be while you were in university and then the whole wheelchair crutches process came. How did that make you feel in general? Because you're in your 20s um, and obviously you might have been getting looks. Um, people might be thinking differently of you. How did that make you feel in, like inside? Yeah, um, not great. Um how it made me feel like using a cane and crutches and a wheelchair. So I think the time that really got me was I wanted to go visit a friend in Arizona and I had to call the airport ahead of time and ask for wheelchair assistance because I was traveling alone. I think that's when it really got me because um, a lot of people see me on um, Instagram now and I'm a personal trainer. So I'm bouncing around, I'm dancing, but they don't, because I didn't have social media during this time. I didn't document any of this. Um, I mean, I don't even think I had a video phone back then <laughs> that makes me sound old, but, um, I had a blackberry, but yeah, so I had to call the airport ahead of time and ask for wheelchair assistance. And I showed up in a taxi and the minute I got there, I had to like sit in the wheelchair and, um, a very nice gentleman had to push me around the whole entire time. Um, so that's when I kind of, it kind of hit me that I was like, this is awful. <laughs> um, I don't, I never really thought about anybody like looking at me weird. 
Um, I did get looks when I used a cane. So um, I remember it was the Star Wars premiere when Star Wars first came out, mm -hmm. uh, when it came back. And um, my knee was really bad. And um, I couldn't get a knee draining until that afternoon. And we were in New York. I was with my boyfriend. It was supposed to be a really fun day. But we actually had to stop by CBS and I had, my boyfriend had to like go in. I had to wait in the car and he had to like purchase me my first cane, which that felt very unsettling. And when I got to the Star Wars premiere, like I could not get up. There was like three steps. I couldn't get up the steps. So he would pick me up. He like picked me up and I was using my really beautiful purple cane with butterflies. I remember it was so cute, but I was using my cane. And um, I mean, I was 21 and they were. I did get, I probably noticed some people were staring at me then, like, why is this young woman using a cane? Um, and it was so awkward. And I felt like all eyes were on me because in the middle of Star Wars, I had to use the restroom and I had to use my cane and I was in the, like the middle row. And so I had to like walk and then walk up the aisle, you know, the aisle like goes like, yeah. there's like an incline. And so I'm using my cane and I'm like crying because the pain was so bad. So I, I felt like all eyes were on me. Like, why is this young woman struggling? So, I mean, it did, it did affect me emotionally, not as much so as people staring at me, but, um, I would also like whenever I used wheelchair assistance at the grocery store and like, I would stand up to grab something. I'm sure people were like, but she's standing. Why? And it, also with an autoimmune disease, it's an invisible illness. So they can't clearly see what's wrong. Like yeah. I know my knee is swollen, but I'm also a very thin woman. So like nobody could like physically see what was wrong with me. Yeah. So, um, it, it was upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. And even like for me, I mean, I haven't used a wheelchair or a cane or anything like that, but like having the option in high school to even use the elevator because I couldn't walk up certain stairs. Like I would always avoid that situation. Like I'd keep the elevator key in my bag, but it was just like, I don't want people to think of me a certain way. And it's yeah. always in the back of your mind. Like I was in high school, so it did matter what people thought. Yeah. And I mean, when I was in high school, um, I was okay. I mean, I was okay for, I had to go to physical therapy. So I was still limping a while, but, um, whenever I'd be like, Oh my, I have like really bad knees. Everybody'd be like, Oh, what do you have arthritis? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> it would get so awkward. They'd be like, Oh, you have like an old, old people knees. And I'm just like, yeah, actually I do. And it was awkward, but I never like forgot that they said that to me. So yeah, it, it, I mean, people, we remember what people say, Yeah, <laughs> especially in high school. Exactly. Unfortunately, the commentary does stick, but I like I moved mm -hmm. on from some of it for sure like I moved on from it but I definitely recall some of those things and I'll remember it for the rest of my life unfortunately yeah. I mean now we can kind of make jokes about how dumb certain people yeah. are for doing that and that's fine I mean the more arthritis education and awareness people have we kind of overcome those comments that people have to say because as a community I think we're stronger coming all together to show that yeah. That's kind of how, like, I just saw your social media, so, and your presence on social media, and we're going to talk about that soon, but I think as a community, you don't know many chronic illness people at first, and then when you see many people come together on social media, it's, it's just empowering. Yeah, and I think it's so important for uh, kids in high school as well, or middle school, like anybody with juvenile idiopathic arthritis, because or any invisible illness, it's good for those kids to get educated, not the ones who are diagnosed, but their peers, because... I mean, there are bullies are real. And if they see like these kids and they don't see them physically injured and they're like skipping homework or maybe they're skipping class or they're sk skipping events, like kids might pick on them. Like, why didn't you do that homework assignment? You know, they don't understand. So I think I actually have, it's cute. Sometimes like high schoolers reach out to me and they're like, yeah, thank you for like this. And thank you for bringing awareness. And I'm like, 
Of course, because like those kids, they need to be educated at school. Yeah, they do. And it's not even kids. It can get hired to like school staff and more so yeah. Yeah. educational um, building need. They all need yeah. to be educated and it sucks because like my high school journey was not the best. I think the most important people were my friends and family who helped out, but like, and like special education, but that's because, you know, they work and that's what their field and expertise is like people that have disabilities um, and help them out to the feed, but everyone else in that school building really needs to know that physical disabilities exist and invisible disabilities exist. And, Oh man, I can go on and on about this topic. Yeah, they just assume that people are being lazy and it's like, absolutely not. No, oh, I've, heard that, I've heard that comment so many times, but um, so you went into remission per se for six years. Um, were you, after they drained the fluid, were you on medication at that time? Like, did you need any medication to sustain that remission period or how did, how did that go? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first six years after surgery, I did not have to go on medication after getting my knee drained seven times in a row. I did give into methotrexate. Um, so I did start methotrexate and I knew nothing about it. I didn't even read the label cause I knew the side effects were scary. <laughs> so I had my mom read them. Um, but yeah, so I was on methotrexate for about, uh, four years until, um, it still was progressing and getting worse. So I was on methotrexate, which is the low dose of chemo. It, yeah, it was in a pill form. I had the option to do the inject injectables injection. Um, a lot of people choose the injection of methotrexate because um, it makes you nauseous. It makes you sick. So for the first two months about taking that drug, you get sick. You, your body is not used to that type of drug. Again, it's a low dose of chemo. So our bodies kind of get very sick. We get nauseous. So a lot of people inject it so it doesn't have to go through your stomach. I had that option. However, I didn't have the community I have today. So if I knew what I know now, I would have done the injection, um, but I was too afraid to take that step. So I chose to stick with the pills. So I'm still on the pills, actually. I never switched. Honestly, honestly I'd like to, I'm on the injection, so I'd like to go on the pills. But I've heard certain things about injections and pills. I think I'm satisfied to where I am right now. I'm kind of scared if I like change the format of mm-hmm. the way that I take the medication, something might be different. Yep. So maybe, um, I don't know, maybe in the future, I'll think about it. <laughs> yeah. And me too. Maybe, maybe I'll switch. i it's pure laziness, which is why I'm not switching. I did. <laughs> so I had the option and now my doctor's like, there's no need to switch to injections because you're handling the tablets just fine. But yeah. I'm also kind of like, I'm just too lazy to do a second injection every week. I'd rather just pop the pills and go with my, <laughs> it's pure laziness. <laughs> if, if, uh, honestly, same here. Like I don't like giving injections to myself. Neither have I tried. Neither do I trust anyone in my household to inject me. So I actually go to the yep. doctor every week, which is very time consuming. I need mm-hmm. to think of an alternate solution, but I'm not there yet. So yeah. Yeah. Despite being a remission for six years, your arthritis did come back. How did this make you feel? Were you surprised or, I mean, your doctor did tell you six years, but did you expect it to not be six years in any way? Like, Yeah, no, I expected, I expected my life to be completely normal and not have this problem um, because I was feeling fine. And 
on that fifth year, I studied abroad in Italy and I lived on like the top floor of like this castle. That's where our apartment was. It was beautiful, but it was like 88 steps, like getting up and down. And I was totally fine. Like I was okay. Like I didn't, I never thought about arthritis. Like I knew I had it and I got my knee drained once in that six year period. And I was like, okay, maybe it's just like swollen, but no, I never, it was never a thought. So I didn't even have a rheumatologist nearby. Like it just was in the back of my head. And again, I was in denial. So yeah, when it came back, I was not expecting it. And um, I didn't want it to be real. So that's why it took me so long to start medication. And I wouldn't recommend anybody to take that long to start meds because I wish I had started earlier. Would have prevented a lot of pain. Because of the fears that my parents and I had on the medications, uh, initially, like it was really hard for us to make a decision on whether or not we wanted to take the biologics. Uh, but I think mm-hmm. looking back now, we could have prevented a lot of damage and you don't know that till you go through knowing that there is damage right and erosions and at the moment and like in the present moment you think about the fears of even getting on that medication but you don't think about what could potentially happen in the future and that's why I think awareness about what could potentially happen is very important because as patients we're always so afraid of the present mm-hmm. moment, but also um, like taking the medications in the present moment, but we're also afraid of long-term side effects that we don't think about how the disease can actively progress. We think about, okay, I can potentially develop another disease from this, that sort of stuff, right? So it's a lot to consider. Yeah, it is. And yeah, we really don't think about the joint damage. We think about the side effects from the medicine, like for instance, methotrexate, if you read the side effects, it's scary but we really don't think about the serious joint damage we could have. Like I already have joint damage. And so they were like, it could just get worse. And who knows, maybe you will end up using the crutches for the rest of your life, or we can monitor you closely on these drugs and make sure that you're safe. Um, Cause that's what I, cause methotrexate, they monitor your blood work once a month when you start. Um, so we're so afraid, but we're also being so monitored, we're being monitored and we're, the doctors are watching us closely that They just told me like, do you want the quality of life or do you want to like risk it with side effects? I'd rather be okay and be able to walk (laughs) and live. And that's the thing, right? You, you don't know what life's like when you can't walk. And even I have joint damage myself and I only figured that out a few years later. And then we kind of think about why this could have happened. It's like, because it took so long to make the decision if this is a medication I wanted to I want to get into because I consider the long-term side effects, but as a 13 year old and your parents being so vulnerable at that time, you can't, it's hard to think straight of like what you want your decision to be, right? It's so challenging. Mm-hmm. Were your parents actively involved yeah. in kind of the diagnosis process and to bring you to the appointments and how did they feel when they found out that you were diagnosed? Oh yes. They were very much involved. My mom like would fly. Cause again, we lived in Saudi Arabia. And so she would fly from Saudi to the States, like whenever I was having a problem. Um, so she was very much involved and she uh, was always pro medicine. She, everything the doctor said she would go by. So the minute they said methotrexate, she was like, yes, it was me. That was like, no. <laughs> um, but she was always, she, it's like, she knew, she knew that I needed my quality of life back. Um, so her and my dad were always like, listen to your doctors, please listen to your doctors. They know more than you do. I promise you they're qualified uh, professionals. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 the side effects. And she was like, stop reading Dr. Google and please get your life back. So yeah, she was very much involved. She was at like every one of my appointments, all of my surgeries, like she was my person. 
my poor dad was working abroad the whole time, but he was also involved uh, virtually. But um, yeah, no, my mom was my superwoman throughout it all, starting from getting diagnosed up until she, um, I felt so bad because I was hospitalized a lot because um, for those that don't know, it's not just a joint problem. Like I had um, issues with my organs. So like my organs would get inflamed. I was hospitalized in Italy. She flew to Italy when I was hospitalized. Um, I was hospitalized in Florida. Yeah. And so she actually canceled her trip to Spain with her friends because I was hospitalized uh, due to rheumatoid arthritis complications is what they told me. Um, I was just really sick for a week and I had no idea why. Um, but my like pancreas was inflamed. My appendix were inflamed and my, all my organs were inflamed and they could not figure out why. And they just blamed it on my RA. So yeah, you know, she had to cancel a trip to Spain. And so my illness caused her a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of changes in her life too. <laughs> everyone's parents are super supportive like even mine they were there throughout the whole process and still my mom is doing five years later from the diagnosis she's so interested to see what are different ways that I can kind of get some pain management tools to help me out in my life right like it's a continuous process it's not a um one year thing it's a lifelong type of thing and yeah to be able to manage and sustain and balance your lifestyle is very important and we talked about your knee um, and how it was hard to walk and hard to do so many things. And you, now you're into fitness. So I want to really know how that happened. How would you describe your level of fitness before being diagnosed with arthritis? Yeah. So before getting diagnosed, um, I was like that semi-professional swimmer. So I went to the junior Olympics twice for swimming. I was trying to make a career out of it. Um, I was trying to go to university for it. So I was very athletic my whole life growing up. Um, I was always swimming. I was always like playing soccer, doing water polo or something. Um, but when I got diagnosed and I had my surgery, I just went completely downhill. Um, and I guess I started working out three years ago. So I'm 28 now, but I guess when I was 26, um, I was having a lot of like anxiety issues and I needed the, like an outlet. And I never thought that I could get back into fitness. I just gave up completely. And again, I didn't have the community that I have now. I had nobody that I knew who had arthritis not even old, like elderly people, like nobody in my family has rheumatoid arthritis. I'm the only one, which is uh, usually there's a family member that has it. But um, so yeah, once I created my Instagram account, I started bringing awareness. I met somebody through the hashtag methotrexate. Her name is Lindsay and uh, we're best friends now, but I was seeing her and she was working out and she has rheumatoid arthritis um, and she was on methotrexate. And I'm like, well, if she can do it. I can definitely try. So I tried like I, w- I started with like 20 minutes a day and it was really slow. Like I, I get really upset when people find me on Instagram and they see me jumping around and like dancing and twerking and <laughs> doing all the silly things and dropping it low. And then they're just like, they just assume like, how, how does like, there's no way, but they didn't see me when I was going 20 minutes a day, 10 to 20 minutes a day. And I was like moving very, very slowly, but I was moving mm-hmm. and I stayed consistent with it. And my mom, like my, my superwoman in my life with RA, she, her and my doctors would be like, you have to move. You just have to move, move that body. And I'm like, you don't understand. I can't move. Like my joints are stiff. Every time I got out of bed, I felt like, like 
the tin man, like I, I couldn't move and I did not believe them. Like I did not believe my doctors. And I was like, you guys don't have arthritis. You don't know what it's like. I can't move, but I actually got moving and it, I noticed it helped like a lot. And my physical therapist said, um, in order to help your knee, this was after my second surgery. He's like, you have to, um, strengthen the muscles surrounding the joint. So your quads and your hamstrings your calves. Um, and he's like, and I promise it will get easier. So I stuck with it. And even just after one month, I was like, wow, like I can jump up and down. Like this is, this is new. And it was also helping with my anxiety. Um, it was helping with my joints. Um, so yeah. And I kept with it for, uh, now what, three years. So yeah, it was a slow process. It wasn't easy. And I have like hard days and we all have flares. So on my flare days, um, that's when I got into dancing. If anybody follows me, they know I love dance. I actually teach like five dance classes a week. Um, so my saying is if you ever have a flare dance in your chair. So instead of giving up, like I did when I got diagnosed, I decided if I'm going to have a flare. So if I had a flare in my lower body, I would sit down and do the workout. So I would like lift weights, even if they were one pounders, like I would move my body or if it was in my upper body, cause I also have arthritis in my elbow and my chest. If I ever had a flare, I would just walk, like go for a nice stroll or I would dance or do something. Um, and yeah, and it just makes me feel a lot better. And now after three years, I'm able to really do crazy things. Like I still have issues uh, with my knee cause I'll, I'll always have joint damage there. So like lunging is hard for me, but mm -hmm. I became a personal trainer so that I can learn modifications and teach that to people. And that's so good. Like I've never actually been that motivated, ever motivated to move or to exercise, which probably is not, not the best thing to tell you right now, because I know you're so into it, but gotta be honest. Um, yeah. I find it so, I guess like sometimes really frustrating where, when people do workouts, but they're unable to help modify it for people. Like, it's like, okay, if you do push ups, like you have to do it this way. And I think most mm. of the time, like when I see that, it's just, it's so not motivating enough. I like group things. So I think I've realized that like a group type of exercise is what I enjoy. Well, actually exactly what you said, because um, being motivated is key. And the thing is, is not many workout programs are arthritis friendly and not many show modifications. So I went to a group class, um, not too long ago, it was about maybe a year ago. And, um, I did the class and it was, as I was becoming a certified personal trainer, I was like, I, when you like apply for a job, you go and you take a class and I took the class and it was ridiculously hard. And I was like, this does not seem normal. First of all, there was no modifications at all. Like all these people were going crazy hard and even I got discouraged. And I was like, I like, I could see why people give up and they don't want to do it because it does get frustrating. And that's really what pushed me to get certified is to create programs where people feel comfortable to do any of the workouts. And so like, I'll modify those push-ups, I'll modify those squats and I will modify everything. Like we have to modify our life. So I will modify that workout to the point where others would think that we're not even working out, but really like we're, we're they don't really understand. But so, yeah, I could see where you get like discouraged because I would try to do a workout and you can ask like my boyfriend, I would like kick the sofa because I'd be like, I can't do this. Like I physically cannot do this. This is so annoying. They're not offering a modification. And so, yeah, that's why I do love group classes as well. So I love teaching group class. It just makes people more comfortable and we can all do it together. And there's a, it's a judgment-free zone and offering modifications is like, 
my main thing. I love it. And on that note, everyone should definitely reach out to you if they need any tips on modifying their exercises. I feel like a lot of people in the chronic illness community are so open to just giving advice and like messaging and reaching out. So I will, I totally recommend that. Um, and in terms of staying motivated, like I know it's hard for me to stay motivated. What do you do to stay motivated to actually work out? Yeah, a couple things. Um, the main thing was that it made me feel better. Um, so in the beginning, it was it was really hard to get motivated. That's why I had like an, an accountability buddy. I had my um, friend Lindsay, and I would see her working out every day. So getting an accountability buddy really helps. Um, and if I wasn't in the mood, I would just text her, and she would motivate me. And that's actually why, and that's what motivates me today. So if you guys follow me on Instagram, you see that I get up very, very early and I dance on camera. Um, so I, I read a quote or like a meme or something where it was like, find something that makes you jump out of bed with joy. So honestly, showing up for all my friends and like chronic illness family on Instagram is what brings me joy. And that's what motivates me to get out of bed and move. Um, but in the beginning, really, it was because I was feeling better. So I noticed that my joints were, I was having less morning stiffness in the morning. I was feeling better um, mentally, like I had less anxiety. Um, my inflammation levels were going down. So I was starting to see the benefit of exercising. And I just felt, I knew that feeling after a workout where I was like, wow, I did that. I feel great. Um, and I was like eating more because um, many Spoonies, we lose our di- like our diet just uh when I say lose our diet, we're not that hungry, especially if you're on methotrexate, you get nauseous. And so your appetite kind of goes out the window. Um, but by working out, I was eating a lot and I was like hungry again. And I was like, yeah, so like, I felt really good. So that was my main motivator, but now it's to uh, motivate others. So I love getting up and dancing and giving affirmations and just acting really silly. Um, so those are my two main things. I'm glad that you can not only motivate yourself but motivate others. I think that's really important to keep yourself going in life. Like if there were no motivation, you'd probably just be like crying in bed, sleeping, you know, being all mm-hmm. lazy. But I think that's really important to move your joints. Definitely a culprit of not moving my joints, but I've heard it's important. So, I mean, I try once a week. It's probably not so bad. No one takes my advice on exercising. I'm not the best example for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So you're constantly spreading awareness on your social media pages. Um, what experience kind of prompted you to start advocating? Yeah. So uh, this is a, a great story because it happens to most of us. So um, I started the methotrexate after the six year of remission. Um, and if anybody has been on methotrexate, I know they're going to know that all of us want to go off of it like, like right away. So <laughs> I was starting to feel good. So I was on methotrexate. The methotrexate was doing its thing like it's supposed to. It's supposed to make us feel good. After a year of being on it, um, I was in it. I had just moved to Atlanta, Georgia, found my rheumatologist who I love. And I was like, I'm feeling great. I'm going to go off of it. And he was like, you're feeling great because of the medication. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm still going to go off of it. So I went off of it without his advice. I do not recommend you do that. Please do not do that. But I know so many people who have done this. So I started weaning myself off of it because it's not a drug where you can just um, quit. So I started going down and down and down and I went off of it. Um, 
and we celebrated that I got off of it and I was feeling fine. I went into remission for like four months. I don't even think you could call it a remission. <laughs> and then um, I had to go back on methotrexate. So I promised the story is going to lead to why I'm bringing awareness. So I had to go back on methotrexate because the arthritis had moved to my elbow by that point. Mm-hmm. So I had to go back in, get my uh, knee drained, get a cortisone shot in my elbow. It was like my 15th cortisone injection in my life. Like I've had many, many cortisone shots and they were like, all right, you need to calm down. You're going back on. Actually, I started Plaquenil, um, hydrochloroquine, which is another uh, another drug that people use for arthritis to help with inflammation, joint damage, all that good stuff. I had a terrible reaction. I broke out in hives, unfortunately, like just a week after taking it. So I had to stop that. And the doctor was like, "It's time to go back on methotrexate." So I had a little four month break, um, but I was so upset. So I I felt alone. I felt discouraged. I still didn't know anybody with arthritis. I never talked about it to my friends, only my family, my boyfriend and my best friend knew. So I never spoke about it. And, um, my, I was in a very negative state. Like I was always crying. I was always upset. I was always complaining. My, my poor boyfriend, uh, Travis and my, my mom would get like, hear the worst of it and how I felt. I was just so negative. Like I was stuck in that negative mind space. And, um, even my best friend was like, Ali, you're so negative. Like you, you need help or whatever. So, um, I couldn't take it anymore. And I needed to, I needed to, I didn't know this at the time, but I needed to meet somebody my age with arthritis. I joined a, um, I joined a support group and on Facebook, and it was a bunch of 80 year old ladies. Um, I don't know how I got there, but I, it was a bunch of 80 year old ladies and they were so negative and so scary. And they were like, my brother died on methotrexate and you're going to die because of your arthritis. Yeah. I was like, Whoa, like this is terrible. And so I panicked and I was like, you know what? I'm going to create an Instagram just about arthritis. Like I'm only going to talk about arthritis and I'm going to do all the hashtags, all the things. And I'm just going to talk about it. Cause I'm, I can't, I can't keep it in anymore. So, um, and I, I did not want to start methotrexate, but I knew I had to. So I created the account. I posted that I had arthritis and I posted the fact that I have to start methotrexate again and that I'm scared and I don't want to do it. Um, and that's how it all started. And then I realized a lot of my friends from Saudi, uh, messaged me and they were like, wow, we had no idea that you had arthritis in high school. Like we, none of us knew we, none of us knew you were struggling with that. Cause I, I didn't tell anybody that I had it. So that's how it started. Wow. 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 Long story, but definitely helped and your platform is amazing. So I'm glad that we're able to raise awareness about arthritis. You were, you were an extras casting director for Tonya, amazing stories, the resident and a casting assistant on Avengers Infinity War to 2018. When did you start casting and do you act as well or only work like behind the scenes? Yeah, actually I started casting because of my arthritis, which is really interesting because originally I wanted to be on set casting. You do it in office, but I wanted to be on set. Um, it was, but it was after my second arthroscopic knee surgery and I was on crutches again. So, um, I had to find an office job, but I still wanted to stay in the film industry. It's why I moved to Atlanta. Cause Atlanta is like the biggest film hub in the world, which is crazy. Um, and I'm still here, but I applied for an extras casting director. It was very random. I didn't really have a passion in casting. Um, yeah. So 
it was behind the scenes and I was there for four and a half years. Um, and I did eventually leave because we were working 60 hour weeks and every single weekend for four and a half years. And it was getting to my, like my arthritis, like <laughs> my chronic illness was getting a lot worse because I was working crazy hours. But I mean, it was a cool experience. I got to go to set, which was really cool. Like I got to go to Avengers. Um, my best friend was the casting director on that. I was just the assistant, but, um, it was really cool. And I do work a lot behind the camera. I still am passionate about creating films. So my boyfriend and I make uh, short films together. We just completed one and we're making a new one, but, um, I do act once in a while, um, uh, for short films. I don't audition for like main things. I was thinking about doing that because I do a lot of like hosting and I do love being in front of the camera. It's a lot of fun. I just think of it as a hobby more than a I don't think I'd ever do it as a career, but I do prefer to be behind the camera. I like to write. Um, I'm a script writer. Um, I went to school for script writing and directing. So I do like to write and direct. And my boyfriend is really good at editing and filming. So we, we're a good combination. Thank you so much, Ali, for coming on today. I really had a great discussion with you. Everyone like, comment, and subscribe. Check out Ali's social media channels. I will link them down below. If you need any fitness tips, reach out to her, feel free. She's more than happy to answer them. I'm assuming, yes she is. Yep, okay, cool. Yes.